The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Pip, pip, cheerio. I wanted to send my greetings from the queen. So uh, anyway, uh, my wife and I were in in London the last couple of weeks, had a great time. Um, It was fun to be there, got to see all kinds of sights, her favorite band in concert. It was a great time, but it's also great to get home. I missed my kids like crazy, and to be honest, man, I love what I do, so it was honestly great to get back to work. So anyway, um, good to be here, and uh, I do want to just, as a matter of confession, say that it was a couple of weeks we were gone, but we only had gelato four times, so just, just, so as a, just clearing the conscience here. But uh, we had a, a great time. Today is Fight Hunger, uh, Fill the Truck Day. And so throughout the week, we've been talking about ways to give and, and donate and stuff. And um, the truck is out here from the Marysville Community Food Bank. We're going to be filling that up at the end of the fourth service today. Um, so I encourage you to, uh, if you didn't bring stuff, maybe go grab some stuff and bring it by before we fill that up about 1.15, 1.30 today. It's going to be a great day. But um, we're in a series called What's Your Deal? Uh, today's part five. Today's actually the last in this series, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter four. If you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to crack that open, and uh, Colossians is where we'll be. Of course, if you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, that will work too. We also had, in the midst of all that's been kind of going on, um, an event called the Grove Kids Carnival. How many guys came and hung out a little bit with us and spent some time? Yeah, a few. We had a great time. It was a lot more spread out this year, so in the past, it's been super crowded, and of course, last year, we didn't have a Grove Kids wing. It was under construction, so it was fun to be able to use that wing as well. Had a great time. Uh, A lot of creativity. It's really cool to see all kinds of different costumes. And, um, you know, you got to see uh, uh, minions, ninjas, of course, princesses, all kinds of of cool characters. There was a whole family that were the Incredibles, mom, dad, Dash, everybody. Um, That was pretty cool. And then there was another family that had incredible costumes from the movie, The Greatest Showman. And uh, that was really fun to see. But one character... In particular, I saw twice that I can remember took me back to my childhood. Now, we can get a picture up on the screen here. Uh, This is what it was, and some of you know what's going on. So right there, uh, how many of you guys know who that is? Who Who are those guys? Yeah, the Care Bears. And again, that takes me like back to being six or seven. My sister had Care Bears, and some of you remember. How many of you by a raise of hands remember the names of some of the bears? Just curious, okay? Yeah, so like Sunshine Bear, right? Yeah, what were some others? What? Share bear? What? Milkshake bear? What? No, there wasn't a milkshake bear. Knock it off. Anyway, yeah, there was all kinds of them. But here's a question for you. How many of you remember the theme of the Care Bears? Anybody? What? Yeah, caring is right, but yes, sharing is caring. Everybody say sharing is caring. Okay, and you're welcome. And we are not paid for this advertisement. But yes, Care Bears... Sharing is caring. As we look um, into, into this conversation about sharing today, it's something that you and I were taught in our childhood that we need to share, that we ought to share, that it's a good thing to share. Don't be selfish, share. And the truth is, it's something that Paul talks about and we should take notice of because this is the final chapter in this letter that he wrote. And of course, we know as he wrote a letter, he wasn't writing chapter and verse. Those were added later so we could follow along together. But when you read chapter four in his letter, it says this starting in verse three, pray for us too 
that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. And God, today we pray that your spirit would do a work in all of us. Lord, many of us in here would say we're followers of Christ. And I believe these are really, really important words for us to understand today that we would leave here with a conviction, God, about what you're asking when it comes to this conversation about sharing in Jesus name. Amen. Paul says this, pray for us too. And oftentimes in the the scriptures, when Paul's writing about prayer, when he writes some of these things, he's saying prayer as in it's a normal thing. Prayer ought to be a normal thing in the life of a follower of Christ. And some of you, when I say that, are going like, yeah, I pray like a minute a day, a couple minutes. I don't pray every day. You know, prayer isn't really a huge deal. And Paul brings it up as if it's a normal occurrence for those that are followers of Christ. Now, I say that to encourage you that prayer doesn't have to be this overwhelming, dawn thing that we constantly feel condemned by because none of us measure up. None of us will ever measure up, okay? But prayer really ought to be simple. Prayer is talking to God about the things that you care about. And in a moment, I'm going to talk about this. It's, it's listening for what he has to say about those things. But, but it's, for instance, if you're married, Lord, I pray my wife's Heather. Lord, I pray for my wife, Heather. God, she's been, been you know, feeling funny this last whatever. Or, you know, God, as she's helping teach our kids or raise our kiddos, give her wisdom, encourage her, whatever that might be. If it's, you know, somebody in your life that could use a job. God, I pray for Billy and, you know, his job situation. And Lord, we pray that for this interview happening in a couple of days, help him give the word, have the words to say. You know, give him wisdom and help him calm his nerves so he can interview well and get a great job. If you got kids and and they're growing up and you're concerned about some of their decisions, hey, Lord, would you work in my kids? I'm concerned about these friendships or that they go to school and kind of this happens. Or God, would you just just give them some wisdom there and help me as a parent to say the right things, to encourage the right ways so that they can not fall prey to some of those things? You know, God, would you, prayer is really asking God, talking to God about those things that we care about, our nation or, or people that we love or family or whatever it might be. That's prayer. And then the other side of prayer is stopping at times really to listen to how the Holy Spirit might impress upon you some sort of answer. And you go, well, what does that mean? And it's not this, you know, dear John, here's what I have to say. Okay, I'm going to hear an audible most of the time. Very rarely in scripture do we catch that somebody's got some sort of like audible voice from the Lord. But oftentimes, for instance, if I'm praying for my wife, which I do very often, that God would impress upon me, hey, before you leave today, you need to make sure that you express that you love her and appreciate her like crazy. Sometimes when you're praying for your kids and you're concerned about certain decisions of what's happening at school, it's, it's listening to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God's saying to you, hey, before they leave for school or hey, after they get home from school, have a conversation with them and talk with them a bit. There's ways that God impresses upon us how certain things are being answered. Other ways, of course, it's supernatural and, and miracles happen. But prayer is both asking God for things that you care about and waiting and listening to see if there's any type of response or answer that he might be offering you. And that's as simple as prayer is. Now, Paul is going to get really specific here. And I want you to hear this. The only thing Paul asked the church at Colossae to pray for him about had to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this in, uh, in verse, uh, verse 3. 
pray for us that God may open a door for our message. The first prayer Paul requested was for an open door towards the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? And many of us in here maybe know or we assume we know, but let me answer a simple question. What is this gospel that Paul is talking about? The gospel is a belief that many of us in here have. Some of you are still kind of working through this, but the gospel is believing that that God cared about us so much so that, that Jesus was sent to the cross to pay the price for all of the sins we've ever committed that he paid the price on the cross that his blood was shed so that you and I could find forgiveness, not because of good works or things we could do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died, was buried, and on the third day, through an amazing miracle, he rose from the dead, defeating the final enemy, which is death, which we don't have to, uh, in the future, fear when we face it. The gospel is that Jesus cares enough to pay the price for your sin and my sin and deal with it so we could have a relationship with God because sin separates and forgiveness brings us back together. That's the message of the gospel. Paul says that message is an important message and my prayer, I would ask you to pray for clarity when I'm sharing that message. So he says, pray, he says, uh, pray for open doors and he says, pray that I may, may proclaim it clearly as I should. Notice, too, that Paul's frame of reference here is not if the gospel is shared, but when. Paul says, when I proclaim it. In other words, Paul felt the burden of responsibility that the gospel needed to be shared. And it's something in a moment he's going to turn right back on you and right back on me. But here's what happens in church world. The gospel responsibility is the pastor's responsibility. The message of the gospel is on the guy up on the stage or the gal up on the stage, and and it's up to them to make sure the gospel is proclaimed, and that's not Paul's frame of reference. It's just his request. Pray that when doors open, that doors would open, that when doors open, that I would have clarity when I share that message. And then, and this is where he's going to turn it on the whole audience, including every person in this room. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. See, Paul wanted all of us to understand the burden, the compelling nature of the gospel is not just for professionals that do this from a stage. The compelling nature of the message of the gospel is something that ought to eat at us from the inside that, man, I want people to get this, that, man, I think this is a big deal, that, wow, I'm forgiven, that, wow, I'm set free, that, wow, I have hope, wow, I've been delivered, wow, God did a miracle, God provided, God whatever. That's the message that we want other people to understand. Now, here's the thing. Many of you hear that, and when we talk about it, we go, what does that look like? Because that's kind of a turnoff to me. Okay, we're called to share the gospel, and Paul says, be wise in the way that you act towards people that haven't accepted the gospel yet. What is he saying? That this this whole faith thing is not Sunday to Sunday, but every single day as you navigate the places that you live, your neighborhood or condo units or apartment complexes, that you're aware every single day of how you're treating those people that you call friends. That you're aware and, and sensitive to how you act when you go to your place of employment and do whatever it is that you do for a living. That you're aware that it matters how you treat people at a grocery store or a park 
or on the road as you drive. That there's an awareness that you and I have. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, people that haven't received the message yet. And in the wise words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? Are you wise in the way that you act toward people that don't know the message? He says, make the most of every opportunity. What would it look like in your context tomorrow? Where are you going? What are you going to do? Who are you going to encounter? Where are you going to travel? What kind of traffic could you get stuck in? What, what kind of lines at the grocery store or people will you navigate in the, in the aisleways? Who will you see when you take your dog for a walk? How are you acting towards outsiders? And are you thinking about the fact that Paul is saying, pray for me and for open doors and for clarity of message, but also it's on you to know that you represent Christ wherever you go. Are you being wise in the way that you act towards outsiders? And then he says this, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, in verse five, he says, be aware of how you act towards outsiders. But in verse six, he says, be aware of what you say around outsiders, people that haven't yet received that message. Why does that matter? Because the question becomes, what are they hearing out of you when you're in random conversations? How many four-letter words can you chalk up to your conversation last week, yesterday, Friday night? If people heard you talk about whatever it is that you talk about throughout the week and then found out that you were a follower of Christ, would they be shocked? And let me get even more specific. Paul is not just alluding to be aware of your conversation every day all the time. But Paul is actually saying that the message of Christ needs to be lived, listen, and spoken about. And this again is where you go, well, what do you mean? Listen, there are people out, you see them all over. If you go to Mariners games or Seahawks games or concerts or whatever, you got people out there and they're gonna share with you the message. Anybody seen them? They got the big black and white signs on a three-tiered you know, sign holder and a bullhorn and a soapbox and turn or burn. And they're yelling, and you think, if you think that's what I'm saying, that's not what I'm talking about. We talk about sharing the message of the gospel by what you say and your ability to draw others into who Jesus is, is not yelling from a bullhorn at people you don't even know, and all they see is, is fire and judgment. But it's also not wandering around the mall, and here's a kiosk, and you go, no, I don't want any of your fake hair, but did you know Jesus loves you? It's, it's not that either. See, some of you get this idea that you have to be a religious nut to share the gospel. I mean, isn't that why he's on stage? You know, right? Anyway. But, but that's not the case at all. Let me, let me help you understand something. First of all, the gospel is unbelievably important for every single person on the planet because, yes, it means salvation, being saved from the sins you've committed in your life and finding forgiveness through the cross of Christ so that you can enjoy an eternity in heaven with God. Great. That's salvation. But you know what else the gospel is? 
The gospel is, is a message that serves to change the whole of our lives. For some of you in this room, you've experienced the gospel as a message of deliverance. A message of, of you not understanding kind of spiritual things. And at some point, and we'll talk about this in a minute, the light came on. And all of a sudden you prayed and said, God, deliver me from alcoholism. God, deliver me from being unfaithful in my marriage. God, deliver me from this addiction to pornography. God, deliver me from this gambling problem. God, deliver me from lying and cheating. Deliver me from trying to look better than I really am. Deliver me from insecurity. Deliver me from unforgiveness. And you've experienced the power of God's deliverance in your life. That's some of your stories in this room. And nobody's going to nod their head because you're like, if I do, I'm going to look at one of those. So you're all just like. But some of you experience the power of the gospel in deliverance. Some of you have experienced the message of the gospel as a message of hope when you felt hopeless. And that's, by the way, not just a one-time thing. Well, I prayed at the low point of my life and Jesus was so good and that was great. But some of you, it's like, look, I invited Jesus in and I've still experienced low points, but I find that he's still there in my hopelessness. And I invite him back in. Anybody familiar with that one? Yeah, a lot of us, because it isn't a one-time thing. Some of you experience the message of the gospel as a message of love in a point where you're looking for love in all kinds of different places. And you found God's acceptance and love for you through the work of Christ. For some, it's a message of healing. Some have experienced God's miracle-working power. People that have prayed, God, would you heal me? And you've experienced moments where I had this and now I don't. And it was God. And we feel so sometimes reticent to say that. Whatever. God is still a healer today, you guys. Why would we stop asking when the Bible reminds us, ask about everything? Yeah, pray for the job. Yeah, pray for the kid's heart. Yeah, pray for your marriage. Yeah, pray, but pray for physical things too. I'm not going to be afraid to do that because I'm not the healer. He is. Some of you experience that. The gospel message is a message of power when you've needed it. A message of life. A message of strength. A message of peace that passes all understanding. A message of purpose in a world that can feel so purposeless. That's the power of the message of the gospel as you look at it. And, and I want you to understand that because I'm passionate about the message of the gospel. And I believe if it mattered to Paul, it ought to matter to us. I believe if it mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us. I believe if it's brought up in scripture over and over and over. It ought to matter to us. Yes, to live it out day after day, but also to be able to speak of it. And now I want to give you some examples of what that might look like. We're called to share the message of the gospel, but it's not the, like, like a cold call from a salesperson. It's not demanding from a bullhorn. It, it, to me, I would say, and these are just some examples, it's not an exhaustive thing. It, it's like this. You have a relationship with an individual for at work or wherever, and a family, whatever it might be, and they're going through something so difficult that it's painful, and they bring up something like this. I don't know where to turn. You need to see that as an open door, but not to get weird, but to simply respond. When somebody says, I don't know where to turn, here's what it might sound like. And I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. And I remember 
a few years ago having to navigate a situation that had me down and I, I kind of felt a bit like, yeah, I don't know what you're going through, exactly what that's like. But for me, I remember when, when I was going through this and somebody shared with me this idea of, of, of faith in Christ and that may, might sound weird to you. And now you're going, oh, he's about to get religious or whatever. But let me just share with you, that mattered to me and that was a difference in the midst of the pain that I faced. Not that the pain was gone, but that I realized that God was willing to walk with me in that pain. See, it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to end with, let's pray, fire! <laughs> we get, it's, just, it's natural. When you care about somebody, when you love somebody, when you're praying for those around you and asking God for open doors and clarity of message, then you can see when somebody says, I don't know where to turn, how you might respond to help open their eyes to the message of Christ. And I'll be honest, and you may not like this, but I'm all about some of the caveats. Some of the, the you could say, disclaimers. Like, well, you know, somebody says, you know, and I've had this happen to me many times. Somebody sees something different in you and says, what is it about you? So you don't have to get religious and weird. Somebody say, well, what, what do you mean? I don't know, you just, there's a, you're going through this, but there's still a joy. You're going through this, but you still got your head on your shoulders. That's, I saw you walk through that, and I don't know how you did it. That's an open door. For me, if you're hearing it from me, and I'm not going to use an example of anyone else, here's mine. Somebody will say to me, and I've had it happen many times. What is it about you? You know what? I'm a pastor, and I've studied the Bible, and I understand everything now. <laughs> no, honestly, see, here's the thing. Some of you guys think things like that. That's ridiculous. You know what my answer would be? What, what it is? Somebody says that to me? You know what it is? And this is a long time ago, but 26 and a half years ago, there was a moment where I heard about the message of Jesus and I realized it was for real. And I remember that day a long time ago, inviting him into my life, surrendering to Jesus. And that's been the difference in my life. That when I go through pain, when I go through heartache, when I go through things that don't make sense and that, that spin me sideways, God is with me. And I've learned to trust that. And again, this may sound weird to you and sound super spiritual, religious, but I'm just telling you, that was the difference in my life. If you hear what I'm saying, that resonates with you. Maybe you want to think about what Jesus could mean to you. You see what I'm saying though? It's not this religious weirdness. It's giving an answer to why. You say, hey, what is it about you? Well, I had a triple shot this morning. Hey, what is it about you? Well, mom taxed on Halloween. I ate a bunch of candy. What is it about you? And you come up with a million reasons why you shouldn't say anything about your faith. See it as an open door and an answer to God's prayer that I prayed for you today. God opened doors in every one of our lives. That's an open door. Here, here's another one. This is the last one. I'll, I'll move on. But when somebody realizes that, that you go to church, or, and they, they, they'll say it in a million different ways. Hey, you, you go to church. Or they'll say like, things like this. Hey, you got religion. Like, got religion? What? You know, you're, you're a religious person. Or hey, you're a spiritual person. Or you go to church. Or hey, you're a Christian. Why? And I've had people ask me that too. And it's fun to be able to give them an answer. Because there was a point where a friend of mine was sharing with me about the meaning of the gospel, about Jesus. And as the light came on, I, I realized that, that this stuff matters. People will say, why do you waste a Sunday going to that place? 
Why do you spend your Sunday mornings or after whatever going to church? What is that? Why are you that way? Because I realize the value of what God can do in me when I gather and I'm encouraged like that. And by the way, you're more than welcome to join me any Sunday. Come check it out for yourself. They don't have to be weird, super spiritual, oddball answers. They're conversations with people you care about and they can feel it. The gospel compels us. Scriptures use that word over and over, compel. The gospel compels us to live it out, but also to speak about it, to love people, to live in grace and model a lifestyle of forgiveness. When you choose to forgive people that in the world you shouldn't have to forgive, there's people paying attention. Oh, you didn't write them off? You didn't say a bunch of mean things about them on Facebook and ship that out to the world to see? Oh, you didn't call them names and egg their house? Oh, you, I mean, what? You didn't do any of that? What? You forgave them? How? Why? Honestly, because I've needed forgiveness a lot. And I found that, yeah, God forgives me. And I've had people forgive me. And so I learned to live in forgiveness. You see what I'm saying? Over and over, the gospel compels us to serve others, to help others others, to give generously and sacrificially. We talk about as our, as our code, we will lead the way with irrational generosity. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. So when you hear the message of the gospel and it's about serving and loving others and helping those that are struggling, I'm sorry, but I don't like living in a community where people are not getting all the meals they need, especially kids. So what do we do as a church? Let's fight hunger. Let's set a goal that for us, at least right now is audacious. 10,000 bucks. Yeah, right. Yeah, but we can all do it together. 10,000 pounds of food, we can all do this together because we're all in this together. This is about the gospel doing something in our lives that we're not here to consume. We're not here about what's in it for me. We use language like this all the time. We are the church and we exist for the world. We talk about this church is the kind of church where it's all hands on deck. That if you consider the Grove Church your home, then you know what? We're asking you to be mobilized as part of the body of Christ to make a difference in whatever ways that God has wired you and we can help with that. But come and be a part of the movement. Don't just sit. Over and over, the gospel compels us to be transformed and to help others see Jesus. And here's the thing. Let me say, I, you, you could say the gospel compels us to tell people about Jesus. But because that can sound like weird, let me just say it this way. The gospel compels us to share why he matters to us. To me, that's simple. It's not complicated. See, I realize that the church in America, we hear this all the time. Church is in decline. The church in America is dying. People complaining about the church. It's just religion. Religion is the opiate of the masses. Church, 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 this is bad, bad, bad. But, but, but I found an article I want to share with you because I, I realize, and I really believe is one of the key reasons why. Tom Rainier right, wrote an article, and I'm just going to give you a part of it. I can see a simple but profound pattern among the declining churches. Stated simply, the most common factor in declining churches is an inward focus. The ministries are there for the members. The budgetary funds are used almost exclusively to meet the needs of the members. The times of worship and worship styles are geared for the members. Conflict takes place when members don't get their way. You get the picture. Warning symptoms. After studying and consulting, he says, with thousands of churches... I began to see clearly this pattern. Even more, I began to recognize symptoms of an inward focus. And he gives a bullet list. There are a few attempts to minister to those in the community. 
Church business meetings become arguments. Numbers of members in the congregation are openly critical of leadership, pastors, staff, lay leaders. Any changes necessary to become a, a church that reaches out, a great commission church is met with anger and resistance. The past becomes the hero. Culture is seen as the enemy instead of an opportunity for believers to become salt and light. Pastors and other leaders in the church become discouraged and withdraw from effective leadership. Studying thousands of churches, Tom Rainier says the one killer of churches is becoming inward focused. And that's where, when I bring up what Paul says in the end of his letter in Colossians, the message of the gospel is a message of inviting other people into the community of Christ. That's what we're called to do by how we live and by our ability to share it verbally with them. I mentioned that word grace a bit ago and the power of, of you and I living in grace. And, and I was, when I was in London on vacation, um, we visited the Churchill War Rooms in London, which are fascinating. We visited the Imperial War Museum and hear about World War I and World War II, and some of you are aware, and, and I'm a history guy, I love history, but, but I picked up a book that I was fascinated to read. Um, it's called the, the, the Dark Charisma of Adolf Hitler. You know, I got some light vacation reading, right? So you're welcome, but... But, but I, I, I was like, because maybe like you, my thought was this, how in the world does a guy like that get so many people just to follow along? That's insane. And I've always been puzzled by that. And to be honest with you, and this is not a proud part of, of my history, but my family it was from Germany and I'm first generation born in America. But my family moved after World War II and my family was on the wrong side of the war, if that gives you a small picture. But I was reading this book thinking, how in the world? And I'm going to share this with you because it wasn't a, a Christian book. It was just a history book. But I picked it up and, and, and read it. And, and it caught my attention. Listen to me very carefully, okay? Hitler was a staunch believer in the survival of the fittest. And the idea that, that population's way out of control and, and lesser people should be exterminated. And so whether it was certain age groups or whether it was certain disability issues or whether it was people groups in general, he, he, he believed that they should be exterminated. And, and so the, the truth is he hated the Christian way of life because we're, we're about serving those that are weak, helping those that are poor, navigating life with, with, with people that are struggling because God invites us into those worlds. Hitler hated Christianity because he saw it as a weakness. As the war raged on, Adolf Hitler was ruthless, and many of us are aware of that. But, but he believed every one of his, those in his army, in the SS and the Nazis, he believed every one of them should be staunch believers in German nationalism and will, every one of them willing to die happily for their country. He believed that. And so as the war raged on the Eastern Front, so Czechoslovakia and Poland and then Russia, when it ra raged on over there, it was a ruthless war, Germans to Russians and Russians to Germans. And man, they were not only killing each other, but when they were imprisoned, they were tortured, they were murdered, and nobody cared because this is war. Now listen to me. On the Western front of the war, what was more of the, the London, not London, the, the, the uh, Great Britain side of it, and you got the north of France and kind of the, the beaches of North, all that stuff. And, and when war raged over there, as, as the war continued, um, Hitler was ruthless on the Eastern side. And he wanted everybody to be ruthless, but on the Western side, something really weird happened. The Germans saw the grace of the allied forces, especially the Americans. What I mean by that is that if you were caught or you were imprisoned on the Western side, you were imprisoned, but you also got to have meals. You also got to live. You weren't allowed based on war, uh, laws of war to torture people that were in prison. You weren't allowed to. 
And so, so the, the Germans saw this, and in part, listen, the demise of the Nazis was because, was because of the grace that the Allied forces showed. And I was amazed as I was reading this. They surrendered far more quickly in the Western battles. Some of them, without even firing a bullet, they were happy to surrender, knowing they were probably going to lose because they could keep their lives, and Hitler was furious about it, you can imagine. But the thing that I picked up on was, it was grace. It enraged Hitler, but it won the war. And I think about that, and, and, and I, I'm not trying to overplay it, but, but I dream of, in, in our communities, things being different because you and I live by grace when nobody understands it. That we live by grace when people go, how in the world can you do that? Shouldn't you be angry? Shouldn't you be vindictive? Shouldn't you want to get vengeance? Shouldn't you? And we go, no, 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 no. We don't believe that. Because the message of the gospel is a message that God has forgiven me far more than I ever deserve, not because I could earn it, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. And it's a message we desperately want other people to get as well. I really do believe that you and I living the way God wants through Christ in a gospel. I really believe it can change the narrative of the communities that we're a part of just as powerfully as the narrative changed in Europe, because obviously the Nazis didn't win. And I look at in our world, how things can be so divisive and people can live so angry and people can get on their high horse and, and, and bash one another so easily. And especially when you're, when you're removed and you're sitting on a screen, typing things in at a distance from individuals. But I really believe that the work of Christ and the narrative of God's grace can transform the world that we're a part of. And that's what we're called and we're compelled to do. Father, today, help us all live. Help us all live the gospel. We're, we're, we're wise in the way that we act towards people that haven't Receive that message. Making the most of every opportunity. That our conversations are filled with grace, seasoned with salt, fun, adventure. That we may know how to answer. That God, we're aware of, of our lives every single day, not just Sunday to Sunday. And that God, your work in us transforms us from the inside out. God, I pray we would always value the gospel and help others hear it and receive it too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.